Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Guess what's in store? Life After Lemons. The podcast with Paul Cook. This is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. If you ever stop listening to The Paul Cook Show. Life After Lemons. I am coming for you. Academy Award right here. (laughs) For the past 20 years, I've been fascinated with discovering ways for people to overcome obstacles. Then my wife and I both were diagnosed with different advanced cases of cancer here in our 40s. Life After Lemons. So I cannot wait to work together with you and my compelling guests to seek and share examples of rare victory right here on this podcast every time you click on a new episode life after lemons the podcast with paul cook <laughs> i think so about that and we are podcasting thank you so much for listening to life after lemons you know what it's about how you respond after cataclysmic obstacle crap in your life we all have it how do we respond that's what this podcast is partly about and hopefully some fun in there as well this episode is unbelievable another incredible individual that is really a survivor with a unique heart and he thought it was all taken away from him what is incredible is it seemed that way All he needed to do was reinvent himself, which is so important in our lives. Hopefully doing it over and over again if we have to in this one life we are given. Tom Lake was a police officer shot twice in the face through this incredible series of events, though, that are just gut-wrenching. I mean, I'm telling you, so upsetting as a father, as a son, as a husband to hear about this. His father was on the phone with him when he was shot. It's unbelievable. And what he has discovered since then, through it all, inspiring. And I can't wait to talk to Tom Lake. A whole community was and is still behind this guy, and we are lucky to get to talk with him. Thank you for coming, Tom Lake. Oh, you're so welcome, Paul Cook. I love you, man. Yeah, I love you. Well, that's uh, a real blessing in my life. It, ha- it is over the last few years getting to know you and be friends with you and just watch your process after your shooting and learn so much about you. You are a man of courage and, and you're very candid about it. And I appreciate that. Wow. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate that. Yeah. Kind words. Thank you. Oh, buddy. Well, life after lemons. We talk about life now, you know, about how you're living and how you're doing after your event, your right. shooting. But let's let's go over it, if you will, uh, the, the night of the shooting. 
Okay. So my life changed on November 20th, 2016. About 7.30 at night, I was, uh, I've been a policeman for 20-plus years. I was on patrol in my patrol car, and I just happened to stop at the light behind some traffic. And um, I was on the phone with my father, who lives in Omaha, Nebraska, hmm. and uh, a young man who was misguided in his life <laughs> thought it would be a great opportunity to kill a policeman. Wow. And he caught me with my pants down in the front yard <laughs> trying to take a shower. But I did not expect uh, to get shot like that ever in my life. So when I saw the gun come over the back seat of the car, I didn't register it was a gun till after he shot me. Is that right? And one of the weirdest things through this process of healing is how alone I felt in that car. Mm. You know, as a cop, you're in charge of all the situations. You're in charge of everything that, that comes in there. And then you have to keep not only yourself safe, but the people that you're with safe too. Mm. So you learn as a cop to kind of read people and read situations. Well, that one was completely unexpected for me. And I didn't know how to handle it. And that's a very scary feeling for a guy that's always in control of stuff, right? Wow, great point. And so for me, I remember just letting out a loud scream after being shot and then wanting to disappear. Wow. Because I didn't want whatever just happened, I didn't want to have happen, and it made me very vulnerable and very much afraid. Were you conscious? Um, I blacked out for, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say, I was conscious most of the time. Mm -hmm. So after the, the initial bullet hits me, right between my lip and my nose. It's kind of like, it's weird. It's like that ultimate perfect shot. <laughs> one, in a, one in a billion and he, and he hit it, right? Right. right. Um, everything went black for me. I could not see anything. But the amount of pain that came with it also, mm. I remember that. And I don't, you know, like people say you cry when you get hurt. No, I don't remember doing any of that. I just remember letting out a scream like, Wow, this really hurt. I've never felt anything <laughs> like that before. Just the physical pain, not the even the mental pain. side yet, the pain. And then I remembered my eye. So I thought I was dead for literally, you know, this is all split seconds. But in my brain, I'm like, okay, I just died. Wow. And, I, and I didn't. So when I come to the light, you know, I see everything in front of me. So there's cars in front of me, and the light turns green, and I see him drive down and turn left and go eastbound on Bernard from Hampton, and I'm thinking, what was that? Like that, right? Yeah. And then all the cars in front of me start driving away. And I'm like, where are you people going? I've I just got shot. shot. Didn't you hear this? Weren't you sitting at the same intersection as me? I've always wondered about that. Yeah. Part. So oh. that's So when you start doing when you start realizing that, you're alone. I mean, that's a very alone feeling. And I didn't want to hurt anybody. I didn't know if half my face was missing. I didn't know if I was going to bleed out. I didn't know anything. Mm. And I didn't know what to do. So I put the car in park. Everybody laughs about it. But I put the car in park because I didn't want to hurt anybody, right? I don't want to roll up. Right. I don't want to roll up. I don't want to tap their bumper. And the other thing was that I didn't want to have to write memos on department accidents. <laughs> why, you know, why I wrecked the police car. <laughs> well, you were thinking about a million things at that point. Right. And... It's even funnier now to go back and, and, you know, I tell my story a lot, but the guy that was behind me walks up and he knocks on the window of the car and says, hey, are you okay? 
I don't know the man, never met him. I know he's been in a couple of police reports, but mm. when he knocked on that window, he kicked my police mode back in. Like, oh yeah, I gotta get help here. I've gotta I've gotta get the description out of the suspect. I gotta do this. And I remember turning and looking at him and saying, I just got shot. You think maybe you could call somebody for me? <laughs> you know, and then I found the radio and got on the radio and, and told everybody where I was at. And then after that, I collapsed on my right side and passed out. My body gave out. Wow. So if people don't realize this, in a trauma situation, your body stays where it needs to be till it feels safe, and then it will collapse. Oh, my gosh. And I never knew that. So I've learned those things. Right. So here's what the ironic part is, is that, you know, my dad's still on the phone, right? So my dad's still on the phone. He knows something happened. Oh, my But doesn't gosh. know what happened. You right? dropped the phone, right? So I dropped the phone. Are you shot twice, by the way, in the right. face? I only remember right? one one okay. shot, but there's two shots. Because I kept asking the doctors that. They asked me, they go, they go, you know, you got two bullets. I said, I only got shot once. They go, no, you got shot twice. I go, how do you know? There's there's two bullets in your head. Oh, okay, oh. that explains it. Oh, my it. God. <laughs> right? So I guess wow. I was numb on the second shooting. It didn't even know it happened. Thankfully, so. somehow. But the, wow. the worst, I guess part so, of the yeah. worst, the other worst part was is that my dad and I are really good friends. I love my father to death. And, and uh, you know, awesome. a lot of people don't have those relationships right? with their parents, and I do. And it means the world to me. It helps me become a better man and stronger for my kids. And he's laying there on the phone, and he's yelling my name. And I find this out later on, and I'm out cold. Well, one of the cops come up on the scene, and they can't see me. And when he shines a flashlight in the police car, they see blood all over my face and me laying on the seat. And he goes, oh, he's dead. He said that. And my father heard that. Oh, my gosh. And then he called my wife. And said, I think Tom's dead. So that is the series of events where you can really kind of understand how you go from being, hey, everything's fine, to slamming into a brick wall, and now you got to figure out what you're going to do. Because that was the farthest thing from my wife and my kids and I's mind, that I was never not going to come back from work. You know, it's a reality that policemen deal with. And there's a lot of cops that will tell you that, I made sure, just like everybody else, to kiss my kids goodbye and tell my wife goodbye. But you get into life. You get into life. You get into these routines, and you realize that then all of a sudden something happens. You're like, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. That's right. My wife and I thought the same thing. Yeah. So. uh, The to-dos of life, of the practice, and you forgot this. Let's get that. You don't think to say this could be it. Right. And you don't think when you're, especially as a first responder, you you, you know you're out there risking part of it. You know, that is part of the deal that you sign up for. Mm. Um, I believed, and I still still very much was ready to give my life for my job. And that is a tough thing for people to understand. Yes. Until you get into uh, uh, serving somebody and seeing how that service and helping others can just be the most rewarding gift ever. Mm. And for me, I loved being a policeman. I loved it uh, more than I could ever tell anybody. Mm. I would do it for free if my bills got paid because that's how much I loved it. Because you walk into people's lives and you help them figure out the simplest things that they can't. Wow. You know, I mean, really, uh, an argument is you're trying to convince somebody else's opinion or somebody else that your opinion's right. Yeah. At the same time, they're trying to convince you that their opinion's right. Uh, and if the reality is if you stop for five minutes, walk away and separate, and then come back and have a normal conversation, you'll realize that you're both right and that things need to be worked out. 
And that's what you bring. And that's what you bring as a cop is you, you're kind of like that referee that comes in. At their lowest moments or their most right. uh, awkward moments. Sure. You're there providing a service that you believe you were created to right. provide. And, and also making friends. Huh. You know, I was a lo- I'm still friends with a lot of the business owners and uh, people that I knew from the neighborhood that I would stop by. Some of the elderly folks, I would go by their houses you know, and stop in and say hi to them and see how they were doing just to check on them. Oh. And, and people, th- you know. I could so, see you doing that. Yeah, some, some cops thought I was weird doing that. But no. for me, that was the best part of the job. I mean, yeah. that was, it was neat to see, um, you know, change somebody. I, yeah. I helped change quite a few kids' lives. I had a kid that was trying to get into a gang and, and his parents called me and we went over there and read him the riot act. And, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I, I went by his house for a month. To make sure he wasn't getting anything, and and the kids in the U, went to the U.S. Naval Academy. Wow. Well, you continue to do that, not in the same way, because you don't have the badge to walk around, but you do it. You're doing it right here and now, and I've seen you do it with your story and how you've responded. You could be a, an alcoholic. You could refuse to communicate. You could just have gone all, really way off with this this life yes. after lemon scenario. And you haven't. You, you do. You tell the story so well because you've offered yourself up in service to do that. Uh, trauma has its echoes, doesn't it? It's, it's wake. Like your dad experienced a trauma. Right. Your wife experienced a trauma. Your family, your community. Yes. And w- what when you got to talk to your dad and tell him you were alive, w- what happened there? Or did your wife? How did that go? So uh, when my wife walked in the hospital, I just, I thought she was going to collapse on me, you know, because I could see her. Mm-hmm. And in order to diffuse the trauma, policemen like to tell jokes. So I did. I said I wasn't as good looking as I used to be, but chicks dig scars. <laughs> so. Oh, my gosh. That night. <laughs> that oh night. Oh, my gosh. You know, and. uh <laughs> There's a lot more that I said that I probably shouldn't get into. Yes, but, uh, yeah, I'm sure you were going. But I, I just, you know, that look on her face like, oh, my God, you're still alive. Thank you. I'm so happy you're alive. And Unbelievable. And and so, you know, we're talking for a minute, and they're, they rush me back to a CT because they're not sure if they do surgery, and then they bring me out of that CT while they're reading it. And while I'm sitting there, they want to they do something else, and I finally made them all stop. I said, stop. And they did. I said, I need a cell phone. Uh, and they go, what uh, for? I go, I got to call I gotta call my father. I got to tell my father that I'm okay. Oh, my God. So um, I dialed the number, and my dad answered the phone. And when I said, Dad, I'm okay, the sigh on the end of that phone, I can't ever explain it to anybody except for the love of a child. Wow. It was humbling and heartbreaking at the same time. Yes for me to hear my father let out that sigh. Mm. I mean, I felt like, you know, he got shot type thing. The torture and, he was going through. How long it was that, by the way, before uh, you got to talk to him? It was about 35 minutes. Okay. Oh, the worst of his life. Yeah. I bet. And and it, a little more ironic is, is that my parents never stopped me from doing anything, but my dad was always worried about me being a cop mm. because he knew the kind of person I was, which was I gave 150% whether you wanted it or not, right? <laughs> and yeah. he was always worried that I was going to get hurt or I was going to get killed, and he would make those comments to me, and I, 
And I looked him dead in the eye and I go, I'd do 35 years in this job and die of a heart attack the next day. It's probably going to be my luck in life. <laughs> and he probably thought, well, my buddy, my boy Tom is going to run into a situation with a shooting and he's going to try to protect a guy and jump in and get shot. Not he's going to be sitting there on the phone at a stoplight with me and right. someone's going to come upon him. How many times have you run it over in your head? Uh, I mean, I guess there's no sure. number. Millions? Billions. Every day? Well, at first, you know, we talk about some of the symptoms for me, and we'll talk a little bit about PTSD here in a minute, but yes. one of my biggest problems I had after my shooting was that I didn't die. Mm. I mean, here, you've got Mike Flavion. You had Blake Schneider right before that. You had uh, Charlie Lowe. He was mm-hmm. shot, ambushed. Uh, the night of my shooting, there were five policemen in the country shot. Really? Only two survived, and they were both in Missouri. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So um, for me, so rare. you know, there's all these policemen that have died in the line of duty, friends of mine that I know personally. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, classmates of mine that have died. At the academy. At the academy. And, you know, you build that brotherhood stuff, and I will tell you, that when I didn't die, I felt like I let everybody down. I felt like I had let my police family down, that I didn't do the duty that I needed to do. And that was really hard for me to push through and understand why I'm here. And so you talk about me open about my story. Yeah. The way I looked at it was is that it's a conversation policemen never have about what happens when you don't die, what happens when you get hurt. Wow. Because so often there's so many policemen that people don't realize they get hurt, they can no longer do the job, and then they feel worthless. And they, you know, you start drinking more and you start, you you turn stuff. Yeah. And a police department is only, you know, is the St. Louis City Police Department is one of the best. We know how to bury people. We don't know how to take care of people that are hurt. Mm. And that was the one thing that I learned through this whole process is that police departments don't know how to take care of officers that are injured in the line of duty and keep them safe. The, the best example I can give you is Baldwin is fantastic for Mike Flavian. Is that right? I mean, those guys still go see him every day. They check on him. Mine, after two weeks after my shooting, I didn't hear anybody. I didn't hear from people for months. Is that right? Yeah. The dust settled. He did live. Let's move on with my life. Right. So I got my 15 minutes of fame, mm-hmm. and then you move forward. Well, then the reality of life is is that I'm struggling to try and figure out how to come back to a job that I love. Mm-hmm. But the PTSD and, you know, my family is like, you can't do this anymore. And you're like, I got to go back. Right. I can do it. I'll pay back all the service maybe around the time of my Correct. shooting. So that I had a lot of guilty feelings yeah. of not working, like oh. guilty feelings of not being able to, you know, when you called me and say, hey, there's a dude down the street. Can you go check him out for me? That type yeah. of thing. You know, I, I just couldn't do that anymore. And and that, you know, it, it, it weighs on when you. When you've put all of your energy as a human being into being of service in that way and that authority and it's pulled from you, I know, and I, I can only imagine on top of the PTSD, which crams into and we could talk about the brain and the limbic system, the injury that happens, and I've heard you describe it very well, and I'll have you do that in a second, but all of that, on top of that, you got the guilt that you're talking about as a police yeah. officer. Uh, again, it's it's amazing that you're here today, you're healthy, you have a good sense of humor, and that you aren't... Uh, 
angry. No, I'm I'm not. I've learned to understand the shooting. Mm-hmm. I've learned to understand my emotions that came through that shooting. And I've learned that it's changed me and it's changed my life. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about things that change your life, you know, birth of a child, getting married, getting a divorce. I mean, those are steps. But when you have a big traumatic event like that or getting diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. those are events that severely impact your life. You said it. And that means you need to go to work, talking to someone, getting help, processing this turmoil and trauma. And I am so I respect you greatly for doing that and the work that I know you you do to try to overcome your shooting. When I walked into my first counseling session, which was almost four months after my shooting. Mm. okay, so I, I was carrying a burden with me, a huge burden. And I didn't realize it at the time. And when I saw my therapist for the first time, my therapist asked me one question. Can you be a policeman anymore? And my session was an hour. And I spent an hour crying in his room. I bet. Uncontrollably. Like to the point where, you know, your kids sob. And I I, couldn't stop. You're like, I I I don't know why I'm doing this. I I couldn't stop myself from the emotion. And I couldn't stop the emotion from coming out. And I had no explanation as to why it was happening. So... Perfect. After that hour, I finally was able to get myself composed enough to be, I mean, I was exhausted. I could have taken a a 60-hour nap at that point, right? (laughs) Finally. Yeah. My therapist said, he goes, look, you have all of these experiences that happened to you in less than a split second, and they're probably the size of this room. Mm -hmm. He goes, and now my job is to help you understand those feelings and have you funnel them out of your brain through the size of a pinhole. (laughs) Oh, he goes, God, it's going to so take true. it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of effort. You're going to be days you're going to hate me, and there's days that you're going to love me. Mm. He goes, each day has to do it. He goes, this is a process. This is a new part of your life. You will be dealing with these things on and off for the rest of your life, and you will understand how to control them, and you will understand what they are. Mm. I didn't understand it four months in. Three years later, I get it. I still can have uh, a memory, a smell of something that will shoot me into a panic, and I will sit and ball up in a corner and sit there and rock. And, you know, my wife, everybody wants to know what's happening. Yeah. Hey, just leave me alone. Get all over you. Are you okay? Are you okay? okay. I feel like I was part of a situation like that. Men wanted to be upset. What's okay? Like, you, you saw that away. at the one meeting we yeah. were at where I was tripping a little. I think yeah. I call it tripping, but I was <laughs> I was reacting to something. Yeah. And I couldn't focus. And I had to let whatever was coming out. Um, you know, after my That's shooting it was funny. Huge. Yeah, you go you go to I went to a restaurant mm-hmm. and I don't remember where and I got tears running down my face laughing. Is that and right? my wife's like, Are you crying? I go, Yeah. She's like, why? I go, I have no idea, but that was funny, you know? And she's oh, like, wow. but you're crying at the same time. I'm like, yeah. And so what happened was I, w- I was reacting personally to whatever we were talking about laughing, but it triggered an event from my shooting that made me express sadness. Were you more? Uh, were you an emotional kind of guy before this? Oh yeah, emotional is kind of a weird that. I, I, okay, uh, well, I'm a touchy feely guy. I like to give you a hug. A thinker, a feeler. Yeah, I'm a hug. I'm I a, got a bear hug earlier, yeah. just in case you're listening and wondering. From Tom Lake, <laughs> Officer Tom Lake, heroic man who someone tried to kill and was unsuccessful three years ago.
What a story here on Life After Lemons. So great to hear about how you are processing all of these emotions. Paul, I don't know about you, but I, I still battle with depression. I mm-hmm. still battle with me being too. guilty about this happening to me, that um, I shouldn't have had it happen to me, that I could have done something different to make sure it didn't happen to I me. Know. I know. I feel the same way with how I lived my life, and maybe did I take this medicine or not watch this symptom, and I did this to me and my family. And I thought that having the cancer diagnosis, was that would be only personal to me. And then I heard what you said, and I was surprised. But I understand it the way you explain it. Tell us why you feel responsible. Because I felt that my job exposed me to those things mm-hmm. and that I could hide what I was exposed to from my family. Mm-hmm. You know, shield them in a way. Shield them. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I am, I'm a protector. I yeah. protect and serve. So my job is to protect. And when I couldn't protect myself, that is what really got me. Like it was my fault that my kids experienced this. Yeah. You know, I had to get my counseling for my children and my wife, mm-hmm. you know, Um, those steps that come in and, you know, one of the neatest things was, is that one of my children went to a great therapist and they wrote a story about my shooting. Wow. And at the end of her thing, she got to share her story with me. And she talks about when my father called my wife and she answered the phone and my wife went into the bathroom and was hiding. Oh. And she went and grabbed my two boys, and they knelt down in the in the family room and began praying. Oh my gosh! For me to be safe, <sighs> and and as a dad, you know, it's that is just like we never did that as a family. We didn't sit down and and pray for somebody right away when somebody was hurt, or and you yeah. know, it's when wow. you feel guilty, Paul, about bringing people, your family to this stuff. I remember that story and that guilt just walks away from me because to me it was. You're right. Here's a great example of teaching your kids and you don't realize you're teaching them. And they wouldn't have had it otherwise if this hadn't happened. I would have never known about that unless, you know, all that took place. But, you know, that is just one of the neatest things where your kids become – they're all selfish now, right? Yes. <laughs> but they heard I was hurt, you know, because they want me to do everything for them. Yeah, right. That was why they were doing it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. But, you know, they knew I was hurt, and they gave up that that for me, and that was just, that was really hard for me to hear from my daughter. It changed but their behavior. But very proud of that. Very oh, proud good. of that. good. Good. You know, I am much more awakened now, and my family benefits, because they are too, from these traumatic experiences and life and death moments have improved our lives. And it happens that way because it has to. Tell me about some of the heroes that have come forward for you. The first episode of Life After Lemons, I interview one of them for me, and that was John O'Leary, who just really showed me what I needed in the middle of all of that. Governor Greitens, you know, when he came yeah. in, and, and, and uh, Governor Greitens, Eric Greitens, I, I just remember he he was just so very sincere about whatever you need. Is that right? And I'm like, I don't need anything. Oh, my gosh. I just, I need a friend. And he's like, well, then you got me. And so that's how Eric and I kind of got our bonds. And, 
and kind of got into that scenario with yeah. him. And, and whether you agree or disagree with whatever came out with him, yeah, he's a good man. Oh, and it has helped many, many right. folks, too. Many folks There's too. a book about it. Right. And, yeah. and so, you know, we forget those things. Sometimes. Right. The humanity, the humanness of him and, and, a, and an imperfect human being. Right. And, and you could look at the same way with first responders. Hey, yeah, guys walk up to your car. Yes, they're angry sometimes because you have no idea what they just came off of. Yeah. You have no idea what stressors they're having in their life because we all have families, girlfriends, wives, boyfriend you know that they're pulling you six directions your yep. kids are pulling you six directions and then you have a job that's pulling you six directions insecurities right all that all that stuff and sometimes people you have to remember that uh because somebody's angry it's not because they're angry at you uh-huh. because somebody's sad it's not sad because of you and um sometimes Huge. we just have to be the voice to listen yeah. You know, Paul, we were talking about my talks. Yeah. I I teach uh, for the uh, CIT, which is Crisis Intervention Team, and it's all over the state of Missouri. It's how to deal with, uh, you know, people that uh, have different abilities to adapt to adjusting to society than we do. You know, like some oh. mentally ill people okay. or people that are uh, that don't like police or people that love police. You know, yeah. it's that line. So I, I go and I talk about an officer survival. That's, that's, that's my talk with them. Wow. And I have had eight or nine policemen fall at my feet and just ask me to find help for them mm. because the burden they're carrying is just too much. And then they hear my story and they realize that they have to get help to fix that burden. Wow. And that's huge. I was going to say that, uh, that you are an incredible resource to departments or whomever to how to process this stuff and how to deal with it and that it exists. The tough guy cop, you know, even a guy that hasn't been shot and and had the horrific event that you did, they've got stuff they need to process and it would make us all better if they did. Well, if you think every event... You see a kid get killed, that's yeah. a traumatic event, an accident where somebody gets their head ripped off in a car. I mean, mm. you see those things day in and day out as a policeman. You see the... Boom, 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 the, the, over the, and over yeah, again. Yeah, they see the bad, the worst part of what human beings could do to each other. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a way of outletting that, you know, it's going to affect you. I mean, mm-hmm. look at... Let's talk about the city of St. Louis fire, the paramedics. How many of them, they lost to PTSD? Oh. And, and, and it's funny because... Police departments, fire, first responders, nobody wants to deal with it because it's one more thing they have to throw money at when they don't have money. Mm -hmm. My therapist wanted me to get rid of my anger. I had a lot of anger after my shooting. Sure. And that's one of the triggers of PTSD is anger. Right. And I laughed because he wanted me to go to this office and destroy this desk. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Smash something up. I couldn't do it. You could. So here's here let's let's give you an example why. I'm a policeman. I can't let my temper interfere with my job. Oh my god, the so mind I learned how to control my temper. Oh my god. Like I couldn't just punch somebody for no reason. Heck, I'd go to jail for doing that yeah, stuff, right? Right. There was many times I wanted to, but you <laughs> learn how to stop yourself. You were taking the guys out that did that, that right. broke the desk up. You would get right. them and then right. deal with them. You know? I was the guys that could not control their tempers. Yeah. I learned how to control my temper. So, that's so that was one of the hardest things we did for, you know, 20 years, controlling your temper and then able. And when I was able to release that anger that way. Yeah. I slept wow. like a baby for three days. That's all I'm oh going to say. Oh, my God. I love it. Well, you are the best.
Thank you, no, you so are. much for your time. Tom Lake, uh, th- this is just the beginning. We're going to have to talk more about okay, this. Buddy. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. What an incredible guy. I'm so grateful that you got to hear him talk about his PTSD and just his gratitude now after being shot in the face twice. Uh, Unbelievable. Okay, I'm also grateful I get to tell you my story of trauma and what I have learned that is so valuable, I think, to all of us. One thing I've learned is that we've all had trauma. That is a flow, a flood of information that's been so shocking, it changes our body chemistry for a time and also changes how we receive things. It's not about what happened to you. It's about how your body and how your mind and nervous system reacted to it. And I was struggling with this uh, anxiety and stress uh, when the shock, I say shock, finally lowered after being diagnosed with stage three colorectal cancer in 2017. Uh, they told me it was stage four. And I thought that for months and months, and then we realized it wasn't in my liver. Well, the trauma had already happened, the sweating, agitation, lack of sleep. Uh, I got clarity uh, about my symptoms and what had happened after this kind of persistent relationship with adrenaline. And I learned that the natural chemicals that we manufacture are only useful temporarily when they serve a certain emotion. But if they're there too long, they do damage. Living in constant fight or flight mode, which is what I was doing, was doing much more harm than good. And it was actually, it felt like it was deteriorating my psyche in a way. And I've learned that all of us have had trauma that has changed us or altered how we see certain things. It's not what happened as much as how your body and your nervous system reacted. And I'm no doctor, of course. I want to make sure it doesn't seem like I come across that way, therapist, doctor, anything like that. I'm a a lay person dealing with these illnesses. But if you have had anxiety and stress come out of nowhere and just take you out, generally, they believe it comes back to trauma you've had in your life as well as other things. But for me, friends, family, listeners, strangers, I seem great on the surface because my vanity would not allow me to look badly, but I was wrapped in stress and uh, heavy side order of internal conflict after this happened in 2017. And then in 2019 at my one year colonoscopy where you're ready to celebrate, it's gone. I wake up and there's more, more cancer with an even huger surgery Anyway, that caused other trauma. And it's not about being too touchy or feely. It's about biology. It's about your limbic system reacting and being damaged because of trauma. And luckily, there are so many different ways to get over this or to find a way through it, not ignore it. Ignoring it does nothing. It makes it harder to actually go after And I'm telling you, I encourage you to talk to someone about a trauma, something you can't get out of your mind, 
or maybe you don't even remember, but it's causing you stress, anxiety, forgetfulness, lack of sleep, overly defensive about things. You can't do crowds. Uh, Tom talked about it there. And wow, a guy who's this big, tough cop ends up talking to a therapist and crying like a baby and getting through it. And I want to encourage you to do that. This wasn't a very fun life after lemons, but the next one will be. I can't wait for you to hear Kevin Costner and I talk about the election. Also, my wife described what happened. Very interesting stuff coming up. Thank you so much for listening to Life After Lemons, the podcast. Please like it, subscribe to it, do whatever. We're going to even get better next time. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.